0: Section 4.3. Good and Evil Seen from the Viewpoint of Purpose (music) Having already defined good and evil, let us further examine the nature of good and evil from the viewpoint of purpose. Had Adam and Eve loved each other as God's intended and formed the proposition foundation centered on God, they would have established a good world. But when they loved each other with a purpose contrary to God's intentions and established a 4 position foundation centered on Satan, they ended up forming an evil world. This demonstrates that although good and evil elements or actions may take the same form, their true nature may be discerned through their fruits. They yielded their fruits in accordance with the divergent purposes they pursue. We find many cases where an aspect of human nature is conventionally considered evil is, in fact, good if its purpose is directed towards the will of God. Let us take the example of desire. Desire, which people often consider sinful, is actually God-given. Joy is the purpose of creation, and joy can only be attained when desire is fulfilled. If we had no desire, we could never experience joy. If we had no desire, we would not have any aspiration to receive God's love, to live, to perform good deeds, or to improve ourselves. Without desire, therefore, neither God's purpose of creation nor the providence of restoration could be fulfilled. An orderly, harmonious, and flourishing human society would be impossible. Desires, being part of our God-given nature, are good when they bear fruit for the purpose of God's will, or are evil when they bear fruit for the purpose of Satan's will. On this basis, we can deduce that even this evil world will be restored to goodness and become the kingdom of heaven on earth if it changes its direction and purpose according to the guidance of Christ. The providence of restoration may thus be interpreted as the process of changing the direction of this fallen world from its current satanic purpose to the purpose of building the kingdom of heaven, God's ideal of creation. Any standard of goodness set during the course of the providence of restoration is not absolute, but relative. In any particular period of history, obedient compliance with the doctrines expounded by the prevailing authorities is considered good, while actions in opposition to them are considered evil. But the change of an error ushers in new authorities and doctrines, with new goals and new standards of good and evil. For the adherents of any religious tradition or school of thought, complying with the precepts of its doctrine or philosophy is good while opposing them is evil, but whenever a doctrine or philosophy undergoes a change, its standards of good and evil will also change according to its new goals. Similarly, if an adherent converts to a different religion or school of thought, then naturally his goals and standards of good and evil will change accordingly. Conflicts and revolutions constantly plague human society mainly because of the continual changes in standards of good and evil, as people seek to fulfill divergent purposes. Yet throughout the endless cycles of conflict and revolution in human history, people have been seeking the absolute goodness which their original mind desires. Conflicts and revolutions in fallen society will inevitably continue, as people pursue this absolute goal until the final achievement of the world of goodness. The standard of goodness will remain relative, only as long as the course of restoration continues. Once the sovereignty of Satan is expelled from the earth, then God, the eternal and absolute being, transcendent of time and space, will establish his sovereignty and his truth. In that day, God's truth will be absolute, and hence the purpose which it serves and the standard of goodness which it sets will both be absolute. This cosmic, all-encompassing truth will be firmly established by Christ at his second advent. Section 4.4 4, The Works of Good Spirits and Evil Spirits We use good spirits as a general term for God, spirits on the side of God, and good angels. The general term for Satan and spirits on his side is evil spirits. The works of good spirits and evil spirits, as in the case of good and evil acts generally, have a similar appearance at the outset but pursue contrary purposes. Over time, the works of a good spirit will increase a person's sense of peace and righteousness and even improve his health. The works of an evil spirit, on the contrary, will gradually lead to an increase of anxiety, fear, and selfishness and cause his health to deteriorate. It may be difficult for someone who does not know the principle to discern the works of spirits, but eventually, often belatedly, he will recognize the nature of the spirits by the fruit they bear. Since a fallen person stands in the midway position between God and Satan, and relates with both of them, the works of a good spirit may be accompanied by the subtle influences of an evil spirit. In other cases, phenomena which begins as the work of evil spirits may, as time passes, merge with the works of good spirits. Discerning the spirits is thus difficult for people who do not understand the principle. It is a pity that many religious authorities, in their ignorance, condemn the works of good spirits by lumping them together with the works of evil spirits. This may place them in inadvertent opposition to the will of God. In the present era, spiritual phenomena are becoming ever more prevalent. Unless religious leaders can correctly distinguish the works of good spirits from the works of evil spirits, they cannot properly guide, instruct, and guide those who experience spiritual phenomena. Section 4.5 Sin Sin is a violation of heavenly law which is committed when a person forms a common base with Satan, thus setting a condition for give and take action with him. Sin can be classified into four kinds. The first is original sin. This sin originated with the spiritual and physical fall of our first human ancestors. It is ingrained in our lineage and is the root of all sins. The second is hereditary sin. This is sin which one inherits from one's ancestors on account of their connection through lineage. It is written in the Ten Commandments that the sins of parents will be visited upon their descendants. The third is collective sin. This is sin for which a person is responsible as a member of a group, even though he neither committed the sin himself nor inherited it from his ancestors. An example of this kind of sin is the crucifixion of Jesus. Although the chief priests and certain scribes committed the deed when they sent Jesus to be crucified, the Jewish people and humanity as a whole have together shouldered the responsibility for this sin. As a consequence, the Jewish people were cast into the position to undergo grievous suffering, and humanity as a whole has had to walk a path of tribulation until the second coming of Christ. The fourth is individual sin, which an individual himself commits. The original sin may be thought of as the root of all sins, the hereditary sin as the trunk, the collective sin as the branches, and the individual sin as its leaves. All sins sprout from the original sin, which is their root. Without extirpating the original sin, There is no way to completely eradicate other sins. However, no man is capable to unearth this root of sin, buried deep in the recesses of time. Only Christ, who comes as the root and true parent of humanity, can grasp it and uproot it. Section 4.6 The Primary Characteristics of the Fallen Nature Eve inherited from the archangel all the proclivities incidental to his transgression against God when he bound her in blood ties through their sexual relationship. Adam, in turn, acquired the same inclinations when Eve, assuming the role of the archangel, bound him in blood ties through their sexual relationship. These proclivities have become the root cause of the fallen inclinations in all people. They are the primary characteristics of our fallen nature. The fundamental motivation which engendered these primary characteristics of the fallen nature lay in the envy the archangel felt towards adam the beloved of god how can there be anything such as envy and jealousy in an archangel whom god created for a good purpose the archangel was endowed with desire and intellect as part of his original nature because the archangel possessed an intellect he could compare and discern god's love for human beings was greater than the love god gave to him because he also possessed desires He had a natural yearning for God to love him more. This desire of the heart was naturally conducive to envy and jealousy. Envy is an inevitable byproduct of the original nature, like the shadow cast by an object in the light. After human beings reach perfection, however, they will never be induced to fall because of incidental envy. They will know deep inside that the temporary gratification they might feel by attaining the object of the desire is not worth the agony of self-destruction that would ensue. Hence. They would never commit such crimes. A world that has fulfilled the purpose of creation is a society built upon organic interrelationships, much like the structure of the human body. Recognizing that the downfall of an individual would cause the whole to perish, society would keep its individual members from such self-destruction. In this ideal world, the envious desires that arise incidentally from the original nature will be channeled into spurring the progress of humanity. They will never cause people to fall. The primary characteristics of the fallen nature can be divided broadly into four types. The first is failing to take God's standpoint. A principal cause of the archangel's fall was his failure to love Adam with the same heart and perspective as God. Instead, he felt jealous of Adam. This led him to tempt Eve. An example of this characteristic of the fallen nature is when a courtier feels jealous of the king's favor instead of sincerely respecting him as one whom the king loves. The second is leaving one's proper position. Seeking more of God's love, Lucifer desired to enjoy the same position of love in the human world as he had in the angelic world. This unrighteous desire caused him to leave his position and fall. People are induced by unrighteous desires to step beyond the bounds of what is right and overreach themselves because of this primary characteristic of the fallen nature. The third is reversing dominion. The angel, who was supposed to come under the dominion of human beings, instead dominated Eve. Then Eve, Who was supposed to come under the dominion of Adam, dominated him instead. This disruption of the proper order has borne bitter fruit. Human society is thrown out of order by people who leave their proper position and then reverse the order of dominion. These repeated occurrences are rooted in this primary characteristic of the fallen nature. The fourth is multiplying the criminal act. After her fall, had Eve not repeated her sin by seducing Adam, Adam would have remained whole. The restoration of Eve alone would have been relatively easy. However, Eve spread her sin to others by inducing Adam to fall. The procreativity of evil people to entangle others in an expanding web of crime stems from this primary characteristic of the fallen nature.